Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the Overcoming Your Story podcast. Where are you calling from? Uh, Lagos, Nigeria. Oh, wow. Um, so you're our first psychotherapist on this podcast. So dear listeners, Amanda Iheme is a psychotherapist based in Lagos. We founded Ndidi, um, her private practice in 2017. She's also an architecture photographer and um, I think a writer. I sense, I sense that she writes. Who will tell us more? So, um, Amanda, can you introduce yourself in your own words to our guests? Um, I think you've pretty much done most of the introduction. I don't think there's anything more I can add. But my name is Amanda. Um, and like Mariam said, I do run my own private practice here in Lagos, Nigeria called Ndidi. And I work with people who are struggling with depression, anxiety, grief, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and existential crisis. And I also work as an architecture photographer um, with a major focus in pre-colonial and um, uh, tropical modern modern um, buildings in Nigeria, but with Lagos being my area of focus because that's where I currently reside. So yeah, that that's pretty much what I do. That's what I do for a living and sometimes just for entertainment. That's really interesting. Um, I think um, it's really powerful that you're a therapist, you're an African, you're a woman and you're based in Lagos. And you so you have your practice um, um, on the continent uh, because we don't hear these voices um, enough. So how did you decide on this career? How did you decide to become a therapist coming from a Nigerian family? Uh, so it wasn't really my first choice, I'll be honest. My I was quite interested in like how the human mind works. And when I was in school, a classmate of mine had died from a brain tumor. So I, I just said to myself that I wanted to go to UI to go study, um, uh, what's it called? Um, like a neuro, neurosurgery, yes. So I was going to go study neurosurgery, but after some time, my father asked me, he was like, well, if you don't get neurosurgery, what other options do you have in terms of what you'd want to do? And I thought about it, and I realized that, okay, if I don't get neurosurgery, I can always do um, psychology. So I didn't really have much of a thought of what it was at the time. It did sound interesting because I had been given some brochures from my father to look at um, schools and I think I remember one time reading about the course psychology and how it's like about human mind, human behavior, and it seemed to be the next best thing to well physically opening a person's head and being able to understand why they behave the way they do or think the way they do is is like it's a good switch. So I decided I was like, okay, fine. If I don't get neurosurgery, I'll do psychology and. So I went to school, I did my bachelor's at the University of Cape Coast in Ghana, and I was in school for about three years, because the course is four years. And by my third year in school, I was very convinced that this was definitely um, an area that I want to specialize in because of how um, aware it made me, not just about myself, but also about the people around me and understanding the reason why we behave the way we do. So. It was very insightful. Um, and then I said to myself, like, I really enjoyed this. I can see myself doing this for a very long time. And from my third year in university, I just sort of knew that this was what I want to spend a lot of time doing. I eventually wanted to 
have my own um, clinic or hospital, as I termed it at the time. So, and I, I initially wanted to specialize with kids, but my family helped me see that there was more opportunities if I decided to like be a clinical psychologist than a child psychologist, especially for a country here like Nigeria, where therapy was not exactly very, um, it's not widely uh, appreciated or even understood. So yeah, that's pretty much it. So you had um, your father, you said, and people around you who could help guide your choice and see what it could lead to, like your studies could lead to. Mm, yeah, pretty much. I did have a good support system for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, shifting gears, because I talk a lot about trauma on this podcast and in general in my work. Um, can you? I found videos that you made about childhood trauma, the effects and how we heal, and they were really, really insightful. How come you specialized in this? Is it because from your own personal history or just from what you saw your clients needed? Uh, It's a a mixture of both. It's personal histories because growing up, like my childhood, I can't say that it's the same thing for my siblings because children don't always have the same um, level of resilience and neither do they all have the same interpretation of the experiences that happened to them. But... Um, for me, growing up was quite traumatizing. Um, there are some experiences that were very emotionally overwhelming and um, consistent and persistent over time that m- made growing up quite difficult for me and um, depressing too. So I, I did have an emotionally tough childhood. And I, I recall being just quite miserable and sad as a child, um, especially growing up when I got to my teenage years. So I just spent a lot of negative energy towards myself and um, self-hate and stuff so um, which was part of the things that that psychology as a course helped me during my third year we did a course that specialized in child psychology and from doing that course I was able to understand a bit more why I felt the way I felt and how the way I felt could have been avoided or managed better when I was growing up and even just a bit more insight into why I react the way I react. So it helped me understand or gain some insight into my own trauma. But then what you study in school is different from practice. So after I um, I had to deal with my own trauma, I had to at some point when my depression got really severe, I had to take care of myself because I was in Nigeria at the time and I couldn't get proper mental health care so I had to take matters into my own hand so from being able to sort of heal myself and um, having the qualifications for it and understanding from personal experience that was when I realized okay if I have all these skills and I definitely know how I can help other people and looking at the similarity in the experiences I had in my own childhood and that that other Nigerian kids had, because if you bring Nigerian children together and tell them to talk about their childhood, the trauma is the same, the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, the emotional abuse, the spiritual abuse, you'd find the similarity in all their stories. So when I found like, okay, a lot of you have the same um, challenges that I had and I was able to overcome. So I think that what I can do is like, since I have this knowledge and skill, I'm just going to use it to help people. And I really want to help people. I'm just I genuinely am interested in just helping people get better and have like a happier, fuller, more open and honest life. And 
being able to give that to myself showed me like it was possible and that it really is a good thing and a good way to live life so so yeah so because of these two reasons in my own personal experience and then also from seeing that there is a necessity and a need for it i was able to like you know decide to help people yeah thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners you talked about you mentioned how if the challenges you went through had been managed differently uh, maybe they wouldn't have had an in, the impact they had on you because not what i understand from it is that not all traumatizing experiences can transform into trauma it's the way they are dealt with and in the context we live in there's not much space to have these conversations about emotions about especially for children is that what you also see Yes, and it's even just acknowledging that kids are kids. Because, for example, now people here justify beating kids. They beat children like sometimes like they're animals for the list of things, and they justify it. But when I, I ask them the same question, okay, fine. If you, as an adult, if you just were walking across the room and you probably hit something, broke something, or you were playing with something and it crashed on the floor. Would you beat your friend like that? Would you like just descend on your on your friend and beat them? And if someone hit you like that, you'd call that abuse. You'd complain about it. You'd say it's not acceptable. So why is it that something that is not acceptable to you as a grown adult who has the ability to defend yourself, you think it is okay for you to do it to a child who is very vulnerable, does not have the level of intelligence, awareness, or insight that you do, um, and is being met and you're saying, okay, it's okay. So you're saying it's okay to abuse vulnerable people, but it's not okay to abuse people that are not vulnerable. So I'm like, it's, it's just like, yeah, that's, that's something that just keeps running through my head. It's like, you, you know, it's not an okay to do things with this. Why do you do it to kids? Like, why do you hit children? How is that a form of discipline when you create a sense of fear around yourself um, when it comes to kids? Yeah, I, uh, that resonates uh... Um, deeply with me. Um, you talked about how when uh, kids come together on Nigerian, they talk about their childhood and there's, there, there are many similarities uh, in the abuse they go through. Um, that's what I was talking about, the silent epidemic of trauma, because it's as if it's normal for people to go through these things. And actually, they have consequences. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a video where you talk about the connections between childhood uh, trauma and adult life. Can you share a little bit more from your experience, from your work, how trauma affects adult, adult life? Um, it, it does affect adult life in many different areas and different ways. Like for some people, it manifests a lot in their careers. Some people, it manifests in their relationships. For some people, it manifests in their friendships. Some people, it manifests in the way they see the world. So every different individual, their trauma manifests in not usually not in a singular way, but in this like very many different ways. So for like, for example, now when I work with um, children, for example, that come from homes where they experience a lot of um, physical abuse, some of them tend to then think that that sort of physical abuse, especially when it's a family where they tell you that, oh, the reason why I'm abusing you is because I care about you or I love you. So I'm trying to teach you how to behave and see. They make those experiences very comfortable for the child. So when the child grows older, what that child thinks is that uh, 
if somebody hits me or someone um, does this, physically abuses me, that that person loves me or that person cares about me or that person is trying to um, tell me how to be a better version of myself, that they interpret the physical abuse as a form of help and a source of growth. There are some people who experience, okay, my parents were not together growing up um, and they were separated and the parents were not able to manage a an amicable separation from each other like the divorce was not a peaceful one and the child was put in the middle of it and having to be the caretaker for both parents some children grow up first of all not desiring to be in marriage because they think that the way their parents marriage turned out is the same thing that's going to happen to them and then they find themselves have um, going more towards relationships where they have to <clears throat> they have to play the role of um a caretaker or taking care of other people's feelings and not um prioritizing their own feelings as well if you were raised in a house where constantly you're being um abused by either a parent or a sibling or a an older family member and constantly what this person is telling you is you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not beautiful enough you're not worthy nobody would like you if you do this, this is what's going to happen if you do that that's what's going to happen so when they keep saying that to you over and over and over again what then what then happens is that you then start to imbibe those thoughts and think that okay the way these people view me is definitely a perfect description of the person that i am and then when you become an adult your self-esteem or your self-worth and confidence is affected because then you start to see yourself as less than you start to see yourself as not good enough you start to see yourself as oh okay i'm ugly i'm no i'm not worthy people wouldn't like me and because of that you don't open up yourself to new relationships you're not you don't know how to talk to people you're not friendly um you don't know how to sustain or maintain relationships that you form and it affects even the way you work how you deal with your clients how you talk to people in your marriage in your relationships you're probably just cold and callous because you continue to carry on that feeling of i am not good enough i am not good enough inside of you so really like the the way you are raised as a child what your parents give to you is literally the foundation that you end up building for the rest of your life and parents who don't take up the time to heal their own trauma end up just passing that on to their kids and affecting them in such a negative negative um, um way so yeah yeah thank you so much because i totally agree that without awareness we just recreate these cycles and um we don't even know we are recreating cycles, you know, we just pass it on. And and um, there's there's so much shame too around trauma. And and I think it stops people from seeking help because they think the problem is them, right? That there's, the, there's a defect with them or everybody's thriving, everybody's doing well and they don't get it. Um, can you talk to that? That's something I struggled a lot with. The shame is it really comes from like the culture, to be honest, that lets makes people think that these negative things that are happening to you, it's okay and it's normal for it to happen. Why are you making a big deal? So your father beat you. Uh-huh. Me, do you know what they did to me when I was a child? Like, do you know how much I suffered? Um, your parents are abusive. Oh, don't why why are you complaining about it? 
that's how parents are. You should appreciate them. You should be grateful even have parents in the first place. That's your family. Family never leaves family. Family must always stay. Even if family is literally breaking your life apart and making you miserable and causing you to hate yourself, they are still your family. So you need to maintain your relationship with family. So it's like the culture does not allow you to fully express your pain. It's like you expressing discomfort or pain in any way is like why are you doing that why are you complaining you shouldn't be complaining at all about anything like everything is fine and even if it's something worth complaining about just you know complain about it the moment the person says they are sorry just let it go you don't have to keep dragging it so there is no proper um there's no proper processing of the challenges that the person is going through there's no healthy dealing with of the problem rather it's to ignore pretend it didn't exist kind of like how the nigerian government treats nigerians for example something really bad happens people complain about it they then say to you oh don't worry we, we will fix the problem just don't just ignore it ignore it so it's like the idea that something could be distressing or or someone could be hurting another person or something dissatisfying could be happening you're not allowed to, to complain about it especially when it's emotional don't complain about it. Just keep quiet. Suppress it. Pray about it. Your God will provide. Just keep quiet. Don't don't make too much noise about it. But if you do, then why you're trying to bring discord? You're trying to make other people unhappy. You're trying to bring problem into the family or the relationship. So it's like they you're not really allowed to do it because people don't want to take responsibility for their own actions. They don't want to take responsibility for their behavior and they don't want to be accountable for the shit that they've done. So because of that, they rather tell you to keep quiet. Don't talk about it rather than complain and hold somebody else accountable. So that's what I see happening. And that's the reason why a lot of people can't can't really come out and say, oh, this person hurt me in that way or this way because they feel that if they do, first of all, nobody's going to listen to them. And second of all, even if they do, they would, they would diminish or dismiss how important that thing is for that person, like how they feel. Yeah, yeah, that deeply, deeply resonates as if everyone is, people are threatened when every, when someone starts saying, I don't feel okay, you know, directly they say, but you're not the first person to go through this. Um, can't you just listen to the person? Like, it's, it's really a big problem. Yeah, people are, that's a very, very apt way to describe it. People are threatened when people start complaining. Like, look at the, how the Nigerian government has decided to shut off Twitter because people are complaining. People are complaining. And they're like, if, if you're complaining about something, then it means I'm doing something wrong. And if you're telling me I'm doing something wrong, that defeats um, the idea that I have created for myself, the reality that everything is fine that I'm in control, that I am, I'm doing perfectly well because people want to believe so much that they are right, they are perfect, they are correct, they are not, they're not doing anything wrong because it's there, because it is coming from their own head. So they think that, okay, because it's coming from my head, everything is okay. So it's like, no, it's not like you could be making a mistake and it's okay for people to complain and say that they're not happy with something because that could let you see things that you're not even aware of so yeah no that's really very important and i think even the same dynamic you're describing for the state goes uh, for the family for the like the the parents the adults and the children because 
they they just in our culture is that the adult knows everything, which is not true. <laughs> and uh, if we are open, we can learn so much from from kids. I have I have a uh, three daughters. Um, they they are growing up in Canada. I grew up in Cameroon, so. If I'm open, I can learn so much from them because they're growing up in a new context in a childhood that I didn't have. So I cannot say I know everything what they need. No, I need to be learning along the way with them. And uh, we just have to keep that open mind. I saw you on a, on a TV show where you were talking about raising awareness on mental health. So how have you seen that in your four years that you've had your practice have you seen a, a bit of a difference with the, with awareness um, about the importance of mental health? Definitely has changed. Like even when I read the news now um, about people's lives, there's always this, there's always that mention of, oh, the psychological effect of this, like the psychological, and I'm like, okay, okay. with all y'all saying psychological, like, all right, all right, go Nigeria. Like it's it's really nice to see that people are paying attention to it. Even during this pandemic, there was all of that consideration of what is the effect that the pandemic is ha having on people's mental well-being globally and also locally. Now in Lagos, of course, the conversation is louder in Lagos. Other parts of Nigeria, I'm not particularly so sure. So um, so yes, it's it's getting better. Like. We still have a lot of work to do, and we do need the government to to rally behind us and say, okay, this is good for the people. Because we have a louder reach when it comes to the people than we as individuals will ever have. Like, we have a closer contact with the people. So, yeah, we definitely do need the government to rally behind us. But apart from them doing that, we are also doing our best. And I, I think a lot of the credit in terms of um this the growth of mental wellness has to be given to the already existing um, um structure that we had and especially to the ngos that have taken it upon themselves to educate people uh, to go into places that we the practitioners and the doctors do not have either the time or the access to go because i'm like i'm sitting in my office you know working with clients on a day-to-day -day basis it's not that often I'll have the time to get up and say, okay, I want to go and run an outreach in Makoko, or I want to go and run an outreach somewhere in Ikeja, or I want to go to Lekki and run an outreach about mental health. So I may not have the time and the access and the awareness, I'm sorry, not the awareness, the time and the access to do that, but with this lack of better organizations, they work with people in the grassroots level. And that is so important in terms of dissemination of information and creating mental health awareness. And people grassroots level middle income earners low income earners and even the highness for people they are the ones who really allow um create that space for a lot of people to just ask questions that we do not have the capacity to answer at once so when they do the work all of that conversion then becomes where can we find a therapist and they are usually the first point of call that a lot of nigerians go to when they're looking for mental health care to go to these ngos and the ngos refer them to us so a lot of the credit when it comes to like the mental awareness that I've witnessed over the past four years, I'd, I'd say, this, you know, say this over and over again, it really does go to the NGOs, honestly. And then to the young practitioners who have now come up and taken up that mantle and said, I want to be a therapist. I see the necessity 
I want to be a counselor. People reach out to me often asking, Amanda, okay, I didn't study therapy when I was in school, but I want to be a counselor because I know that I really genuinely want to help people feel better. I want to help take care of people. So, um, yeah. So it's like, there are people, like we, we're not 100% there yet. We're not even close to 100%. So I remember telling, I was talking to, um, on a different podcast, and I said that I choose to see it as Nigeria as a country that is, now becoming mentally aware not a country that is not mentally aware because you cannot say that we don't know anything about mental health we're just now we're now in the beginning stages of learning about it and it's not moving at the the speed we would like it to especially during these times of 2021 and 21st century things are, are moving faster but here in Nigeria, the good information isn't moving as fast as it needs to, but that does not mean that we're not making any moves at all whatsoever. So those little, the little progress we make, you know, the more people that are showing up for therapy, the more people that are asking for specific kind of care, the more people that are showing up for support groups, all those people that keep showing up, they consistently um, remind me about there are people who need help. There are people who are genuinely looking for help. And there are people who are looking for good places that they can go to to get the kind of help that they need. So there is a necessity that there is a need for the work that I do. So it's not moving fast, but it's moving. And those little steps are important. And even if it's only just like 10 Nigerians that we're able to save, those 10 Nigerians matter. I, I hear the importance of that awareness, that education before people get the help because sometimes without awareness you don't even know what's happening to you seriously you just it's just chaos right and when people have the right information maybe they go to those NGOs and then they get information on why they are not feeling okay then now they know and then they get guidance to know that okay the next step is to go see a therapist and then they they come to you um i really like that i i hope this grows um, more and more in the coming uh, in the coming years. So, with regards to young women, young women who come to you because this podcast is geared towards young Black and African women. Like, what kind of why do they come to you? Like, what kind of issues do they struggle with? So they they come with very diverse issues. They're just thinking about it. I'm like, hmm, very diverse issues. Um, some people come in with challenges with, um, let's say, their body image, trying to learn to love themselves. Some people come in with relationship problems, trying to, you know, just learn how to, how do I have a healthy relationship? Is this good for me? I want to communicate better. Um, I want to make better choices. I, or a lot of people, a lot of them come with the desire for self-awareness. That's one thing for sure. They come with um a desire to want to get better and to know who they are as individuals just to know themselves not to lose themselves to deal with the trauma from childhood to learn to, to love them so i think i get a lot of self-awareness requests um and then the usual treating and also because i specialize in treating depression and anxiety i get a lot of those okay people who are suffering from depression women are suffering from anxiety but in the end, it, we all come down to the same place. And it's a lot of women just want to know who they are. I want to know who I am. Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I think this way? How do I deal with my relationship with my parents? 
my father wasn't there, my mother, I don't have a good relationship with her. How do I navigate that? What am I supposed to do? How do I survive um, and become independent? What kinds of relationships should I go to? I'm trying to heal from a breakup. Someone broke my heart. This was the, the way our relationship work was. And I just, how do I make it better? How do I choose a better partner after this happened? So, yeah, they, they come with a myriad of different issues. Thank you. It's good to have, like, um, a view like this for the for, for the people listening to us um if do you do like do you do virtual therapy do you do like zoom therapy or i don't know maybe someone might be interested in contacting you of course of course yes our, our therapy sessions for now are primarily virtual because of the pandemic so we're, we're hoping on getting a physical space sometime next year but um, for now, we're primarily virtual, so if there's anyone who is not in the country that wants to get help, you can. We do have, but people do get concerned about how am I going to pay, how am I going to pay, don't worry about that. There is a way that you can pay for your therapy sessions, even if you're not in the country. So irrespective of where you are in the world, you can always come and get therapy from us. So all you just have to do is reach out, just reach out, send us an email, um, and then we'll definitely, and if any of our... If any of our payment platforms don't work, we'll find a way to sort it out for you. We'll figure out a timing that works for you. Uh, we do have our own time that we have for available for staff because we're not trying to, um, how do I put it? We're not trying to overwhelm our staff, my staff and myself. So, but then we'll try to find a time that you know works with yours, even if there's a significant time difference. And if at any point in time, um, our services are not up to par for you anymore or you'd like to explore other therapists or you find that you can't find a flexible time enough on our calendar, we're very much more than happy to refer you to other Nigerian practices that are just as capable of um, taking care of you. So I'm not going to afford you and keep you and say, no, it was more with us. No, no, no. If you need, we know that we know somebody else who can um, provide you with more adequate care than we're capable of. We will definitely hand you over to good hands. So please do reach out to us. We may be your first um, therapist, so we may be the first point of call for you to find the right therapist for you to work with. Oh, that's amazing. Can you just remind like the platform and the email? The name of my practice is NDD. That's N-D-I-D-I, and that's D for dog. And if you want to find our website, it is ndd.me, that is ndd.me. It has a link to anything you require. If you want to book your private sessions, you want to get to know the therapist. And also, you can also take advantage of our free virtual support group called Obodo. That's O-B-O-D-O. -O. It's also on the website as well. You can join any of them. Um, and what Obudu does is that we provide free virtual um, support groups for people who are suffering from depression, anxiety, grief, um, body image issues, and for teenagers as well. And every support group has a meeting every month. So all you have to do is sign up, you get the link to the meeting, and you join in. So and anything you discuss with us, whether it's a private client or in a support group, it's 100% confidential. So you're in safe hands and we do love to take care and protect our clients. So they will take care of you. So those are the websites. And if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, um, for NDD, it is n.d.i.d.i. So NDD, but with full stops in between. 
or you can link it from my own personal page, which is Amanda Ihimi. And in my bio, the Instagram page for Obudu and for Ndidi is also available, so you can click on it as well. Thank you so much. It's so important um, to have you because you're a specialist. And, uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, just shifting gears, um, Amanda, with this important work you do, so how do you take care of your own mental health? Everyone seems so interested in that question because like, they're so fascinated. Oh, my God. You listen to people's problems every day. How is How are you carrying this in your head? I think there's this misconception that people have about therapists. Like they think of it like the way you talk to your friend, and you know, if your friend tells you this significant thing is happening in their lives, that's all you continuously, consistently think about all the time. But with therapy, it's, it's vastly different. I work with many different clients. As soon as our session ends, my brain turns off. I have uh other things i have to focus on and worry about and even maybe another client session i have to prepare for and i also have like my own personal life so i i've learned over time how to separate my personal life from my professional so that i'm not too empathetic and i call it like empathy with boundaries so it's like i'm empathetic for the period where in therapy but once I'm like, okay, have a nice day, that's it. My empathy button turns off because I have to be empathetic for somebody else. I, can't, I need to hold space for another person. So I can't keep carrying the heaviness of yours with me. And it's like just knowing, having that awareness that just because I am empathetic does not mean that it is my problem. So in the end, it's like, okay, I understand that you're going through this. I know what it can feel like. And... um I know how to help you and support you through it. But at the same time, being aware that, Amanda, it's person A's problem. It's not your problem. So you don't have to continue to carry it or wear the emotions that come from it. There are some sessions that are very heavy where the person may have experienced a significant amount of trauma and pain. That's a lot. And that when they are sharing, because you're empathizing, you're literally opening up your heart to receive another person's pain and sometimes it can still linger on you after therapy which is why it's so good like whenever i'm done with therapy sessions just go for like a nice walk to sort of ground myself and remind myself okay this is who i am this is where i am to ask myself questions like okay amanda how are you feeling now how was that therapy sessions today um what do you want to do next like to just bring myself back to my own reality so that I'm not continuously carrying work with me. And a client even asked me the same question, like, how do I take care of myself? And I told them, like, I have a really good support system. I have a psychiatrist that I see, and I also want to get a therapist in the future as well. Um, so, like, and I go to see my psychiatrist when I know that things have gone beyond what I am personally capable of handling. So, I mean, I do know how to take care of myself. I know how to confront my own difficult feelings i know how to manage my own emotions and if it goes beyond what i know i am capable of i have friends who are emotionally intelligent around me that can support me i can ask them questions i can seek their point of view and i know that they will always be honest with me and hold me accountable and they will support me in the kindest way possible um my family members my siblings especially are very supportive and and I, they, I can share with them frustrations that I have, especially my little, my um, youngest brother. Then I have like a community of therapists who are like five women that are practicing. Let me count this. 
yeah, five of us, including me. And every month we have a, a meetup where we just, you know, talk about work. Everyone gets a chance to share. We ask like, okay, so what's going on? So you share how you're feeling and all the other therapists and the other women there, we all just pitch in like, this is what we think you can do. This is how we think you can help. And it's just really good. So I do have a support system for work. I have a support system at home. Um, and then if all of, if whatever it is I'm struggling with goes beyond what I can do and what my support system can provide for me, then I know that I can go to my psychiatrist and talk about it. So I kind of have like a, a stepped level of care. So I don't ever feel like I don't have support, except it's a case where I choose not to reach out and ask for help. So that's the case. That's the case. So yeah, so that's how I take care of myself. I have very healthy boundaries. I try to live according to my own personal values and principles. I try to treat everyone with respect. I try to be deeply reflective as often as I can and take responsibility for myself. So that kind of helps. Thank you. That's really insightful. I'm training to be a trauma-informed um, coach. And this empath uh, empathy with boundaries, I, uh, I, I will look into that because it's very important to be... Um, because I was going to ask, how do you transition from one client to the other? How do you, But you talked about it, taking walks, grounding yourself. They're very important, especially when you're dealing with trauma, because trauma is very heavy. And it, it, when you listen to people's pain regularly, it drains you. It really does. And even with work, like uh, for, I have a week every month where I don't see their clients. Like I don't. And I've learned that from early on that the, when I have those breaks, it reduces the chances of me burning out. And I'm a person who is like prevention is better than cure. So if I find out there is a problem, I try to figure out how can I prevent it from reoccurring in the future. So I have every month, a whole week, I don't see clients. And that's really good for me because I can focus on other things. I can focus on myself. I'm not thinking too much about um, other people's problems or so concerned. Because the thing is, when you get, when, you, when you're focusing on other people's problems for a period of time, some, sometimes it gets so easy to escape from yours. So you find yourself just like, oh, but this person needs me, that person needs me. Like you never really give yourself the chance to even think about what's going on in your own family. And therapy can sometimes give you this sort of God complex because you're here. Someone's coming to you with like this deep trauma that they've experienced that has literally changed their whole life. And they're, they're asking you for help. They're telling you, please assist me. And over time, you see that they're getting better. And they're like, oh, my goodness, thank you. People will be like, oh, you saved my life. I couldn't have done this without you. There's like this sort of, you start to feel as if you're like a superhero. Because you're dealing with an abstract thing that people can't see, but you're being able to provide significant relief and peace to somebody else. So you can get so caught up in that feeling of um, helping people and healing people that you forget that you're human as well and that you're not perfect until you come crashing down. So taking that break from work is very necessary and really good because it reminds you of your humanity and it helps you come back down to earth, which is very important when you're doing the kind of work that you're doing. Wow, those are really strong work ethics. Um, I, I really love hearing about. Um, your clients are in good hands. <laughs> yes, so they are. They really are. Like I, 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 I can confidently say that they're in good hands because I know that I really work hard to make sure that they are in good hands. Um, and to know like this is a very delicate 
job that I have and it's people's lives. It's people's lives that I'm, I'm responsible for. And so I need to treat them with the utmost care and attention that I can. And, and I know that if I was in their shoes, there is something that I'd be looking for. And I try to, I try to give that to them. I really just want anyone that comes, whether I end up being a therapist or not, that's not what's important. I just genuinely want you to get help. So we are, we are winding now. We are almost done with the interview. So I want to ask <laughs> to finish on a light note. So what do you do for fun, Amanda? <laughs> uh, I hang out with my friends. Oh my God, it's such a jolly time. I hang out with my friends. Um, we recently had a barbecue yeah, uh, before yesterday. So one of our friends said, all right, guys, come over to my house. Let's roast some sausages and some beef patties and sit down and eat. And that's what we did. We all just shared responsibilities and had like a, a nice little barbecue. And we sat down and we ate together and drank together. And then we played games after. I need to just talk. And I think spending time with my friends has become my new favorite thing to do. Just go out with them and sit down and just talk and catch up. Because life gets so busy these days that I've... I'm spending time working. If I'm not seeing clients, I'm running a practice. If I'm not running a practice, I'm editing pictures. If I'm not doing that. So there's so much to do that it's made me appreciate those moments that I get to spend with my friends. So I see on top of my list, spending time with my friends. I like going out for parties. I like to dance. I have um, cats. I like pet cats at home that I take care of and I spend time with. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love to go to shrine and watch Femi Kuti perform and dance to the music. Um, yeah, I do. And I, like I think I'm also... So, so what kind of music in general? Do I listen to? Uh-huh. Uh, so I do. I like Femi Kuti's music, um, mm -hmm. but I am more inclined um, to listen to um, not pop music, but more like folk music, um, European folk um singer songwriters uh what else how do i there's a term for this i don't know how to describe I, there's a name for it i can't synth pop yes that is it i like synth pop um i like um Europe, i like folk music um sometimes i like nigerian music it's not exactly my thing it's a lot of Basbos, Duduke. So it's, it's sometimes get it's nice to listen to them at the club for me, but or at a party. But then on my own to say I want to go and find David Doe is not gonna happen. So um, except I'm in like in a dancing mood. Um, so I like Whiskey sometimes because he has like cool music. So I kind of like things that are a little easy to listen to. Um, some Indian songs from Indian films I've watched, some Korean songs from some Korean series I've watched. Um, I like, what else again do I like? Um, Ghanaian music as well, because I schooled in Ghana for four years, so I do listen to some Ghanaian pop. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's that's mostly it. That's mostly it. A very rich taste. I like, I like hearing Thank about you. that. Thank you very and much. Yeah. So yeah. Just what what was the last book you read? That was that's for my own personal curiosity. Ah. Okay. So I think the right question is what are the the books I am still reading? Because oh, the thing okay. about the way I read books is I don't subscribe to the concept of you have to read thirty something books in one year. That's a whole bunch of bull to me. 
Like, so people who go for those views, I want to read 12 books in six months. I'm like, kudos to you. That's really great. But for me, no, I think that I like to take time to read my books to the point where there are some books I've been reading for like two years. (laughs) I know. What book is that? (laughs) Yeah, there are some books. So the kinds of books I read are, um, there are more nonfiction. So I'd read like, biographies but i'm not really that big on them anyway um Mm. i read a lot of books on philosophy spirituality um psychology and um just general human behavior so currently the book i'm reading one of it is um childbirth and the growth of love it's uh it's a very old book that was written in the let me see if i can find the name of the writer it has to do with how the child forms affection after being born. Um, then there is the second one is dreams and nightmares, because I'm quite interested in dreams and people's night. Like, what is the meaning of a dream? And I find this um, question comes up, especially dream therapy, to analyze people's dreams as a way of helping them to understand the state of mind that they're in. So people bring their dreams to therapies, like I'll be having this recurring dream over and over and over again. And what does it mean? How do I interpret that? Then um, I'm also reading um, uh, Figuring. So Figuring is by Maria Popova, who is one of my favorite writers. She currently has this blog called Brain Pickings that I, um, that I engage with frequently. So. So she had a book that she released in 2019 called um, Figuring. And I got it when it came out, but I only started reading it this year. Yeah, this year, 2021. So yeah, so I take my time to read books because um, the thing I think about books, the books I read is that by the time I read like a chapter, there is a need for me to carry that information from that chapter into my real life. So I need to now for it. So I'll take, I'll read it and then try to process it and make sense of it in reality and then come back to the book. So I'd read, I'd go out, I'd live, I'll come back to the book. I'd read, I'd go out, I'd live, I'll come back to the book. So because of that, sometimes the process of living might be a week, two weeks, maybe a month. I could have like a whole week where I'm just reading the book back to back and have a whole month where I don't touch it at all because I read a particular line in the book and that line was so profound that I need to figure out what does that really mean and really explore my own understanding of it. So, and then in the process of doing that, I probably get carried away by something else before I then come back to the book. So I, I have no qualms with reading a book for a year. So those are the three books I'm reading. So maybe by next year, I would have finished reading at least one of them. I don't know, but yeah. Currently, that's those are the books I'm reading. Oh, I, I love that. I also read several books at the same time. So, ah, really... nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. This was an amazing conversation. Do you You're have very um, welcome. any concluding words for our listeners before we wrap up the, our discussion today? Um, don't be afraid to start therapy. It's, it's very helpful. It's very immensely helpful. And it is not like talking to your family or your friends or your pastor. It is different from that. And it can really help with making the right decision for yourself and for the people in your life that you love and care about. And that if you decide that you want to have children 
or that you decide that you want to get married, I strongly suggest that you do the work first of reflecting on your own childhood as an adult to know what are the things that have shaped me as an individual and made me the person that I am before you then embark on taking on somebody else into your care or in your responsibility as your responsibility or someone that you love. So um, take care of yourself. Look towards becoming more self-aware. Practice self-reflection regularly. Forgive yourself for the things that you're not able to do and forgive the people around you. And always be generous and kind and open because that is the thing that would give you the things that you're looking for the most, which is love and acceptance. That's it. Oh, wow. I'm so inspired by your <laughs> Thank you so much, Amanda. You're very welcome. Take really good care of yourself. Thank you. You too.